Hi, listeners. It's Becky. And before we get to the podcast, apparently Rick created some mystery as to why I wasn't on the last podcast. He even asked some of you to guess the reasons why I wasn't there. And some of the pigs had already posted some conspiracy theories. They had fun activities that I was doing, that I was on a road trip with Jesus, or that I was whisked away to some foreign country. And I'm sad to tell you that the story goes something like this. Um, I have talked about sometimes I don't feel like I'm the best adult, that I haven't really learned how to grow up. And the other day, I was rushing to work. I had a meeting at a specific time, and I knew I had to stop and get gas for my car. And so I had allotted myself the 10 minutes that I knew it would take to do that. And I pulled up into the gas station, and I looked in my purse and realized that I had put my wallet in a different purse. And so I didn't have enough time to go all the way back home, and I had no other options. So I just decided to go ahead and get to work and just pray that um, I would have enough gas to get there. And alas, I did have enough gas to get there, but I had to sort of beg, borrow and steal, and I had to make a sign with cardboard and beg people to give me money so that I could put gas in my car. And so I didn't make it to the podcast. That's not actually what happened. Um, I wish it was that exciting. Actually, I was really overwhelmed because I um, was on a team that was launching a brand new youth ministry curriculum called Live Message Series, and I was too busy to be on the podcast, so that's why I wasn't here. I also want to let you know that I'm not going to be here next week. I know, and also not an exciting reason. My husband's having surgery. You can pray for us, and I need to be there while he recovers for a few weeks, so I will be gone from another podcast after this one. So I love you guys, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Now, let's start the podcast. Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, podcast season two, episode 26, brought to you by Lifetree. And you can learn more about this podcast and all the Jesus-centered resources and events that we do at JesusCenteredLife.com. So this week, we're going to focus—I have a bit of a tighter focus on— an odd little thing that Jesus says in the midst of a current of teaching that he's giving early on in his ministry, all of that teaching is all kind of the same, except for one thing that kind of sticks out, because it's not like all the other things. So it's a fascinating part of the ethic of this podcast in this community is that we go after the mud puddles. And by mud puddles, I mean we go after things, we, we slow down enough that as we're pursuing the life of Jesus and getting to know his heart more deeply, when we run up against something that we it doesn't quite make sense, or we think it makes sense, but only because it's Jesus doing it. So we don't really understand what happened there, or why he said or did what he did. Um, it's like a kid walking up to a mud puddle with an adult. The adult will see the mud puddle and will leap over the puddle, because why would you want to step into one? A child will maybe jump into the mud puddle and wallow in there a while and play. And Jesus is inviting us to be like children. And when we come up to these places, these mud puddles, 
we stop and we dive in. So today we're going to do that with something that Jesus did early in his ministry. So the first thing we're going to do is is set a little bit of context. So early on in Jesus' ministry, um, he's starting to attract these very large crowds. They're hungry for what what it is he's giving. And uh, so early on, he's, he, he's attracting these large crowds, and he decides to go up on the side of a mountain to uh, kind of give them uh, kind of his first blast of teaching. Now, it starts in Matthew 5, and it continues through Matthew 7. So it's three chapters of this shotgun blast at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, uh, of course, Matthew 5... We, we kind of know this by another name. It's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, it's three chapters of Jesus speaking, which is very unusual in the rest of his trajectory. He doesn't really do this sort of thing again to this extent where he's just talking at people. But you know, it says at the very start of Matthew 5, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So at the start of Matthew 5, here's what, here's what it says. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up to the, on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So he's got a group of not just the 12 disciples, but crowds of people that were wanting to learn from him, wanting to uh, listen to his every word. So he sits down uh, a little bit above them and starts to teach them. So here's what he does um, over the next three chapters. I'm just going to list off the things that he covers, and um, then we're going to talk about the unusual nature of what he's doing here. So he starts off trying to tell everybody that there are kinds of people that God blesses and kinds of people that he doesn't, and he's really focusing on these kinds of people uh, God really blesses. He, He makes up for what they've lost, or he respects what they are or have done. So there's a kind of a list of the kinds of people God blesses, and then he encourages them to stand out in the world, like salt and light in the world. I want you to be different, stand out in the world. And then he has this long string of teachings that basically set impossibly high standards for us as far as living in, as everyday people. So here, here's what the, that list of impossibly high standards includes. We have to keep the law better than the Pharisees kept the law, which the Pharisees were like, oh my gosh, so so focused on keeping every little tiny detail of the law. Jesus says, well, you're going to have to do better than them. He says anger is pretty much the same as murder. He says adultery is just the same as looking at someone, not your spouse, with lust. You don't actually have to follow through with it. Adultery is actually lust in your heart as well. He says divorce is basically adultery. He says, don't make any vows or promises, none of them. He says, don't take revenge if you've been harmed, and give your enemy more than it's asked for. And he follows that up by saying, actually, why don't you just love your enemies? (laughs) Not just the people who love you, but love the people who don't like you and are your enemies. Then he says, give to the needy in secret. Make sure nobody sees that you're giving. Um, He says, don't pray or fast or do anything spiritual so that you'll be praised, like it's a performance. He doesn't want you to be doing this stuff so others will see how good you are at praying or how good you are at fasting. Uh, He says, forgive uh, other people who've really harmed you, or you won't be forgiven. He says, don't make your life about wealth and possessions. He says, don't worry or be anxious about your basic needs. 
and don't judge others when you have issues yourself. So, wow, <laughs> you come to this end, this list of daunting necessities, and the question hangs there, well, why would Jesus start his ministry by telling his, the people that were wanting to learn from him and understand what he, what he came for, why would he start out by giving them all of these impossible standards? What are, what are some possible reasons why Jesus starts his ministry, his teaching, with this impossible list of standards? What, what pops into your head, Becky? Well, I think what he was trying to illustrate is that we are all sinners. <laughs> and um, at that time, there was a culture um, amongst the Pharisees of people who were more spiritual or less spiritual or better. And, um, and he was, I think, at that point, just specifically talking to them and being like, none of you are worthy. None of you are perfect. You all are falling short, and that is why I have to come and do this. So he was he was poking a little bit at just the perfectionist-driven society of that time. Yeah, and we've had a previous podcast where we talked about dependence, living the dependent life with Jesus, and and here you have him saying something that's quite frustrating— He's saying, you have to do this, but you're not going to be able to do this. You have to do it, but you're likely not going to be able to do it. And he's saying it over and over again in every aspect of their life. He's, he's like you said, Becky, starting to expose their self-sufficiency. He's starting to expose the system that they live under. So they live under a system where doing, doing, doing is the way to righteousness. And the best righteousness keepers are the Pharisees, and they set already an impossible standard, and Jesus is saying, well, you average people who are not trained or educated, you actually have to be doing better than the Pharisees. What? Mm-hmm. How are we going to do that? And so he's setting up this impossible standard for them um, as a precursor for what's really coming, because they have no idea at this point that what God really wants is an intimate relationship, not a rule-keeping self-sustaining, self-righteous adherence to standards. That's what they think the religious life is. And Jesus is about to upend all of this and say, nope, it's not really about that, and it never has been about that. You are not righteous enough to keep the righteous standards of God in every arena. You just aren't. So he's kind of, in this bizarre way, taking them to a place of hopelessness. Like, it's starting to set in. Whoa, how am I going to do this? And Jesus is, is giving them an on-ramp in what's to come. You'll be able to do this because you'll be in relationship with me, and I'm actually going to give you the life of God in you. As we become attached, as you become attached to me, I'm going to share with you my life. And that's why this, this impossible list of standards will even be possible for you because I can keep these standards, as it turns out. <laughs> you can't, but I can. So you need attachment to me. So at the end of this kind of stretch of, uh, of all of these things—by by the way, any other thoughts that you had just nope. lurking there, Becky? Okay. So at the end of this stretch, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus then says something that kind of sticks out, because it's not like the other things that he says. So it's in Matthew 7. Uh, verse 6, and actually one of the people on our PIGS page, our PIGS Facebook page, which is a, uh, a group that you can ask to be invited into if you'd like to be a closer part of this community, it refers to uh, a chapter in my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, 
I think the chapter is called Be the Pig, and it's really about how... Uh, living a pig life. Living the pig life. There you go. Um, uh, it's really about the pig contributes everything for the meal, whereas the chicken might c- contribute just an egg, not, not the chicken's whole self. But the pig has to go all in. So a pig is a metaphor for uh, what it looks like to go all in with Jesus. So our pig page is for those who resonate with that and want to live that kind of life, an all-in life with Jesus. And uh, a person on the pig's page had raised this question about this statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 7, 6, and he's just wondering, hey, this seems kind of funny where this is put down, and it seems kind of an odd thing to say, and what do you guys think about it? And I wrote him back and said, that is a great idea for one of our podcasts, because I actually think Matthew 7, 6 is one of the most important things that Jesus ever said. So here's how it goes. He says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. So he's, he's in the middle of all this, he's giving them a warning, a behavioral warning, sort of an identity warning, a, a basic warning. He's saying, don't. So you know right away he's, he's trying to instruct us to watch out for something. So don't waste, waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and then turn and attack. So let's, let's slow down and pay attention to this, and slow way down and pay particular attention to everything Jesus says. So the first question is, what insights can we draw from the first statement that Jesus says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy? So what, what comes to mind, Becky, when you think about what he's trying to say here? What, what does that mean exactly? Well, I think before we dive into that, it might be good to kind of look at some examples from real life on what, is it, what does it look like in our real life to cast our, our pearls before swine? Or, or waste what is holy or and people waste, are unholy. Yeah, yeah what, is that, what does that actually look like? Because that statement is like, it's so big and it's kind of vague, you know, and it's like, this analogy, like, what does a pig have to do with a pearl? Are pearls normally in pig styes? <laughs> Lots of questions, especially because we aren't around, you know, we aren't around livestock and the way they live. We maybe don't know a lot about that. So an example that I can think of for real life is that I deal with this a lot. I'm a big sister, okay? So I have five sisters between the ages of 35 and 23. I'm literally the millennial of or I'm the big sister of the millennial generation. And oftentimes I don't know when I should give advice and when I should not. <laughs> um, and they give me a lot of flack for this. Sometimes they called me sister mom. Oh, you're such a sister mom. And and the, the thing is that because I'm a, a lot older than many of them, I, I see them like, oh, you're about to make a mistake and I want to jump in there and prevent it. Um, and I've had to learn that sometimes that actually harms the relationship. It makes them feel like... They can't just vent or just spend time with me without um, me having to give advice to them. And so I've been really trying, and I'm not perfect at it, but I've been trying harder to ask permission. Hey, um, are you looking for advice or are you just looking to, to talk today? And and if they say, I'm looking for advice, then I then I gently say, I have a few things and you don't have to take all you don't have to take them, take them or leave them. Um, and give them permission to to not take my advice too is a is a huge thing. And 
so for me, that's a, it's an example of not putting myself in a situation where I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I end up um, doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And so if you think about um, in terms of Jesus is trying to focus on these very valuable things we have. Yep. So we could talk about what, what are wisdom. We have very is valuable. Just your heart is valuable. The yep. the the inclinations of your heart, the things that are matter most to you, are valuable in you. I, I I don't know why this popped into my head when we were talking about this earlier, but I just had this moment of I think uh, I can't remember if Sally Field this this week won a Tony Award. I know she was nominated for one, but I never found out if she won one. But when I saw her name pop up as being nominated for a Tony Award this last week, I just remembered what she's known for most. This one moment at the Academy Awards has sort of marked her entire career, and every time she's interviewed, the interviewer asks her about this moment, um, because it was kind of a—I guess you could call it a moment of shame, in a way, in a, on the, like the largest public stage you could think of. She won an Academy Award, and in her acceptance speech, she kind of vulnerably uh, kind of spit out, looking at this crowd of actors and directors and movie people, she said, "'You like me!' You really like me. And it was one of those moments where you you would experience like a little kid saying that without mm-hmm. a filter. Mm-hmm. Oh, you really like me then. And she let that happen in a, this public square. And then she was kind of, kind of pilloried for this. Like, can you believe that she said that? To, it, it, because she was over vulnerable in the setting that she was in, she was not appropriately vulnerable. She kind of let that fly in the, in the wrong setting. She's become ever known by that standard. And so in a way, what Sally Field was doing was she was pulling out her treasure and and giving it to people who couldn't really appreciate the value or vulnerability of it in that moment. And so she was inappropriate. So does that mean that you're never vulnerable, that you just guard everything? And no, it, it, this is Jesus is really talking about discernment so it, one is the discernment of your treasure, what is really valuable in you. And sometimes we struggle to properly value the treasure that's in us. The other aspect of discernment is who are you around? What, what, where are you going to take your treasure and show it, give it out? Um, and are you properly discerning who you're around? This shows up a lot, and the reason why I say this is one of the most important things Jesus ever said is he's really talking about um, maintaining your core integrity as a person and not allowing the boundaries of who you are to be so permeable that you allow anything in. So uh, we were talking before the other day with uh, with our friend Lindsay as we were setting up the topic for this week. We were talking about how Everything in the created world is a metaphor. Romans 1 says so. So our cells, our biologic cells in our body, are also a metaphor for kingdom of God truth. And if you study a healthy cell, a healthy cell has a solid core at the center of it. It has a solid, strong nucleus of core conviction. You could say that's the treasure in your being. Whatever's at the nucleus of who you are is your real treasure. Uh, So it has a solid core but it also has cell walls that won't simply allow anything to get past them into the interior of the cell. 
Lindsay pointed out, I didn't know this, she must have taken biology in college or something like that. She's very smart. She's, she she's, a, she's apparently smarter than us. <laughs> but uh, she said, I didn't know this, but she said the way that cell wall operates is it has like these little doors in it. And those doors remain shut to anything that the cell senses is a threat to it. And they will open if the cell has a healthy connection that it needs to make with another healthy cell. And it's one of the beauties of how we are constructed as human beings, that at the smallest level, these cells are, are guarding their own boundaries. They're letting in what's healthy, and they're not letting in what's unhealthy. And cancer cells trick the healthy cell. That's how they get in. They trick them into thinking that they're an okay cell, and then they let in this poisonous, toxic death cell. What, what you're describing, Rick, reminds me so much of family members that are dealing with other family members who are dealing with addictions or mental illness. And I have seen this time and time again. The, the thing is that because we're Christians and because we're taught to love and to give all of ourselves and to sacrifice for other people, we can take that to a place where Jesus never intended us to take it. And I have seen just where we're, we're adopting all of the shame and the wreckage from that situation. We're taking full responsibility. We're overly trying to fix it when the person doesn't want any fixing. You know, the person's like, I don't want to stop this, or I, I don't need help. I don't want your help. Get away. And, and we just keep pushing ourselves in. And I've even been, um, I, have, I have gotten myself into this situation with family members before and and I know that some of you some of you it's even I'm going to take it a step further some some of you it's like the sh- it's like putting yourself in shame and taking responsibility past what Jesus put you through he's already forgiven you and you haven't forgiven yourself these are the kinds of things where it's like you're letting this in and you need to be pushing it out um, this is not something that you need to adopt into yourself um, and that's a perfect example I think yeah and I have I have two teenage girls one who's heading to college in the fall and one who's heading to high school in the fall and the reason why I say that this thing that Jesus is talking about is so important is I'm right in the thick of two girls who are starting to make connections and deeper relationships with with guys that uh, you know may lead to a lifelong relationship at some point. And so dating and making these kinds of connections is a very vulnerable thing. And so uh, I'm right in the thick of these real-life circumstances, and I have daughters who are sometimes asking for advice, and sometimes I just give it in the moment, or I uh, give—advice is probably not the best way. I I try to bring context into the decisions they're making and help them to think about the decisions they're making. And one of them is, how vulnerable are you with these uh, guys now that you're connecting with on some level— what kind of vulnerability will you show them? And it's crucial to, A, value appropriately your treasure, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If, you have, if you have trouble uh, being over-vulnerable or allowing people to sort of victimize you or take what is precious to you and kind of run it through the mud, then you, you likely have undervalued your treasure, number one. You have not accurately seen how beautiful and valuable the treasure you have is. So that's something that Jesus can recalibrate for you. 
he can tell you what a treasure you are and what treasures you have. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to pause for a minute and give Jesus an opportunity to mark some of your pearls so that they're marked correctly. It's almost like um, somebody, maybe you, has changed the price tag on the treasures that you have inside, and therefore you diminish their value and therefore let anyone who has that much, uh, you know, take what you have instead of... That's the opposite of the way that the movies portray love stories, right? You're, you, it's like this like rush of going all in and falling yes. all over the place, and it's a short romance, and you go all in, and that's the opposite of. I mean, that's the opposite of Pinterest. You know, love like you've never been hurt before, and you no, know, that's that usually doesn't end up working out. Yeah, that's usually well. a train wreck. Uh, that's one of the 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 false realities that we see and film and television where you you you're immediately I mean it's expected now that if you've had even one date in in a film or a movie I mean a, a film or a TV show that if you've even had one date or even a flirtation that the the highest level of physical intimacy is the next thing you do. Yep. And and that is a, a devaluing of your treasure and not a cognizant discernment of your cell walls. And how what you will let in and what you won't let in. It's simply discerning, like a cell does, like a cell tries to do, what is a healthy connection and what isn't. And that takes a realistic, I mean, like brutally realistic discernment. So you mentioned family systems. That's a big deal. Uh, we in our family, we talk all the time when we're going into different environments. Is this an environment where we can relax and open our cell cell doors? to whoever it is we're about to meet with, because it's a healthy connection, and we know it? Or is this a sort of a dangerous connection that we're heading into, and we need to protect our cell walls a little more? We, we, we dare not um, share too vulnerably or show too much in those environments. We dare not simply go into them unconscious of of the of the factors that are surrounding us. I I feel the need to to mention social media um in this context because right now social media is people who are more vulnerable get more exposure. It's almost like, "Whoa, I can't believe they shared that and they, you know, they went there." We, we had a someone who is well-known, Jen Hatmaker, a year ago shared vulnerably about some beliefs that she really was still wrestling through, not necessarily ready to to take on, but she thought she could be vulnerable and she ended up getting really, really slammed. She It was public. It went all over the media and, and, and she has shared that it was devastating to her. Another one of my friends who is a blogger wrote a post that was very honest and, and it was a beautiful post that many moms needed to hear. But she shared too much about her son, and it, it caused some wreckage in their relationship. So we have to be careful even right now in social—we're being, oh, be vulnerable, be more vulnerable. Um, but we have to be careful because we can get really hurt or we can end up hurting someone else. Yeah, and that, again, to, to refocus this on, on the central thing to remember here, don't undervalue your treasure and— be aware of who you're offering your treasure to. A pig has no category for understanding the value of a pearl. None. They see it as uh, food or not even that. They don't have a, a, a capacity to understand the value of a jewel. 
And therefore, Jesus says, they'll just trample on that. They, they don't see its value. They'll trample on it, and they'll be upset that you've thrown pearls into their feed trough that they can't eat, so they're going to attack you uh, when they see it. They not only won't appreciate your treasure, they'll attack you because you put it out there. And Jesus is saying, just as I've, I've built the, your cells to have a, a wall that keeps those things out, I want you to be discerning enough in the situation that you're in to not allow that kind of penetration into your where your treasure room is. And so uh, the, the idea here is to be more actively dependent on the Spirit as you move in and out of relationship, sensing what is appropriate vulnerability and what isn't, and sensing also what is treasured about you and what its high value is. So uh, b- before we move into the, just kind of a, a, a closing time where I'd like us to spend a moment in silence, um, here's a great mystery about all of this. I, we started off by talking about this kind of long line of impossible standards that Jesus is putting out there, and then in the middle of it, he gives a warning, and he says, hey, uh, make sure that you don't throw your pearls in front of uh, pigs, because they'll, they'll, they not only don't understand the pearl, they're going to trample you. Um, once you throw it out there. So why let's let's just ponder here for a minute Becky the the mystery of this. Why would Jesus embed this little warning right after an impossible list of standards that we can never keep in our own strength? Anything pop into your head? About no, I'm I'm d- completely I cannot blank. wait for you to tell us why he would do that. <laughs> it's so confusing to me. Well, I'm going to ask a bunch of uh, I'm going to ask about 20 teenagers tonight. This this very night, this same question. We're going to go through some of this. I'm going to ask them the same mystery They're question. They're going to have better answers. They're... May, maybe, but uh, part of the mystery of this is is just to entertain the mystery of it and to ponder it. So I'll take a shot about this. He's so if if we know the context that Jesus has set here which is, here's the impossible standards of the kingdom of God, and I know when I'm telling you these things that you have to do them and you can't do them. And I'm starting to seed a sense of your own true lack of self-sufficiency in the system of religion that you're embedded in right now, which makes self-sufficiency the, the end game for everything. I'm going to show you how you can't be self-sufficient in any of this, and then he goes right into this uh, this warning that requires dependence, that requires in a radical way that we, A, listen to his valuation of what is inside us, and B, discern who it is we're going to share that treasure with. So he's, he's really leading up to this by, by saying, look, um, you, you, you need to have a greater level of of attachment and dependence on me, not just to live a righteous life, but to guard the boundaries of your identity, which is that, you know, the Bible says the heart is the wellspring of life. That's why we're to guard it. It says guard your heart above all else, because it's the wellspring of life. It means it's the source of all life. That's in Psalms. I can't remember which Psalm that is, but um, it's, it's an important reminder of what the true source of our life is. And here Jesus is saying at the end of this list of, of kind of religious standards we can't keep, that there's an important idea here about guarding your heart, that 
and it needs to be led by and defined by the Spirit. So we'll see what the 20 teenagers say tonight to this question. It'll be interesting. We'll post it in the pigs. Yeah, we'll, we'll update you about it. So now what I want to do is, is just do, uh, two things real, uh, real quick at the end of the podcast. I'm going to ask you in just a moment just to be quiet and to quiet yourself. So whatever distraction you have right now, unless you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. But other distractions, uh, just set them aside for a moment. I just want you to hear from Jesus for a moment. So we're going to actually pause. You're going to see. You're going to hear some quiet space in the podcast today, and then we'll pick it up after this. But here's what I'd like you to do. I just want you to simply, like a child, ask Jesus, Jesus, what what is one of my pearls? What is something that you treasure about me? Just ask that simple question, Jesus, what is something that you treasure about me? I'm going to pause now as you ask. All right, we just did this for a moment. So here, here's what you could do to follow up. You could take a little bit of a longer stretch of time, let's say five or ten minutes, and ask him the same question. And have something on your lap, maybe a, a Bible and something to write on and something to write with, and simply ask Jesus, could you list some of the things you treasure about me? Could you list my pearls? I'd like to take an inventory based on your perspective Jesus on the treasures in my soul, and just let what comes come. Write down everything that comes to you. Don't judge it. Don't backtrack and say, well, this is just my wishful thinking. I wish I had this. Write down everything that pops into your head, but it's important to give time to this thing, because you may have to fight through a lot of clutter and noise in your head for this to happen. So give yourself five or ten minutes of silence. Ask Jesus simply, could you list the things that you treasure about me, and then write those things down? Because that's getting it from the inside to the outside, and it's the start of the process of accurately evaluating what it is you have inside. Just by the way, I took the moment of silence just now as well, and uh, Jesus took me back to uh, a film I watched this weekend um, with my family. My daughter's heading off to college, and she's never seen Dead Poets Society, and She's always wanted to see it, so we watched it. I haven't seen it in probably 20 years or something like that, and um, it was a, it's a powerful movie in, in lots of ways. There's lots, lots to enjoy in it, but it's also a wrenching movie. And if, if you haven't seen the film, it's a, a film about a, a boys' boarding school on the East Coast, and uh, it's a very rigidly uh, controlled environment, and a new teacher who is a one-time graduate of the school comes, and he upends the whole school by... Uh, trusting that these boys can learn and explore and go past their boundaries to really enjoy learning, and he upends their whole world. Um, and he, he particularly has a profound influence on the main student character in the film, whose name is Neil. And Neil is a passionate person who's being restricted and controlled by an overbearing father in the entire film. His father is actually emotionally abusive with him. And the thing that was really hard for me watching this film 
was I love the spirit of Neil in this film. His, his creative, adventurous, passionate approach to life, and, and, and what's heartbreaking and I still can't get out of my mind is how his, his father systematically tried to crush that. And in the end, Neil allows his father to crush that in him. And, and I think that the, the, the reason Jesus took me back to that story is what he was trying to say is, Rick, I love your passion, and it's the same passion you enjoyed in that character, Neil, in most of the movie. And the reason why you're at unrest right now is that Neil sacrificed that passion on the altar of his father's control, and you, you're, you're not at rest with that yet. That's disturbing to you. So what he was trying to say is that thing that you loved in Neil is the thing I love in you, and it's going to lead to pain sometimes, but I don't want you to take the path that Neil did and give up on it, acquiesce to it. So that's what he communicated to me, believe it or not, in that brief moment of time when we were silent. He was just reminding me about how he enjoys the passion that I have, and to uh, make sure that he that I knew that uh, he wants me to persevere in the midst of when that becomes um, uh, so vulnerable that it hurts to be passionate. So anyway, that's something you can follow up in and ask Jesus to help list your the pearls that are in your in your soul. And also, to begin to uh, ask throughout your day, more and more, discernment from the Spirit about who you're sharing those with, and to what length and boundary you should go in, in the midst of those things. Any last things that you want to throw out there, Becky? Nope, this was a great episode. And if you um, haven't joined the pigs, you probably want to join us because you, who wouldn't want to be better friends with Rick and I um, and also some of the other people with Jesus Centered Life. But you can join the pigs by just clicking on the link that says join the pigs. And um, the pigs is a group. We send emails to you. Um, we pick your brain about new resources. We interact with you online. Um, the whole community get to interact with people from all around the world. And, um, and as a bonus, if you post stuff and have a question, like one of our pigs had about this episode, we will do an episode on it. So there you go. You never know when, when your suggestion or your quest or your challenge is going to end up here on the podcast. So, and we appreciate you guys. We love that you're in conversation with all of this and we love the questions you ask and the insights that you give. So thank you for being a part of this community and thanks for listening. And remember, you can find out more information about the things we talked about here today and in further detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com. You can find our podcast section in Season 2, Episode 26. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk to you next time.